Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. And uh, if you brought your Bibles with you, we're going to be in, uh, in Jonah chapter 1. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, there should be some in the seats around you. And they, it lives on your phone and in the internets and all kinds of places. So you can find it. Uh, Jonah, sometimes the easiest way to find the book is just to start at the beginning of the New Testament and work backwards. Because it's only couple of pages, it's hard to find sometimes. Or there's that magical table of contents in the front that'll get you right. No shame. No shame. When you have to like go, maybe I should know where Jonah is. And then you like kind of hold the Bible down here while you're looking at the table of contents. Don't worry. No shame. It's hard to find Jonah. Only a couple of pages in there. All right. So we're going to be in the book of, of Jonah for the next few weeks together. And, and here's how I want to start our look at this book. Jonah, the book of Jonah, is not about a fish. It's not about a fish. Okay, we're going to get to the fish. The fish shows up for a little while. Uh, it's only like two verses, and then it's gone. Okay, um, the the fish is not the main character. And when you're like, how could he have lived in the belly of a fish for three days? And we're going to get to that. Okay, so let's just put the fish aside for just a moment and have a little more context because what the book of Jonah really is about, it's about grace. The book of Jonah is about grace and our response to grace and God's response to our response to grace. Okay, we're going to get into all this over the course of today. But the book, not about a fish, it's about grace. Amen. That's it. That's all we've got for today. No, let's, let's get into a little deeper. So, so we've got some, let me give you some historical context to back up what's happening here as we step into the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God, and the prophets of God were the ones who would hear from God and then deliver what God has to say to the people of Israel. Um, they, were, they were his mouthpiece, uh, who would, they would hear from him and tell Israel what he was saying. Jonah was a prophet during the, king, uh, uh, during the reign of King Jeroboam II, so 8th century BC. And at this time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And we're going to be focusing on the northern kingdom kingdom. And the northern kingdom uh, had a lot of issues. Okay? They, had, they had issues of uh, internal issues where the kings, most of the kings, were very wicked. They would oppress the poor. They would oppress the people. And they would support um, uh, uh, cult activity. So you've got people worshiping all kinds of things in, in the midst of God's people um, and in God's land. And so they had things like golden calves that they would, that they would worship. Um, uh, and if you've read any of the other parts of the Bible, this is not a good idea um, to, to worship golden calves and say, you are, you are God, okay? So they've got problems internally, and they have problems externally, because the northern kingdom bumped up against another empire that was called Assyria. This is where if we had ominous music that we could play, this is where we would play it. Because Assyria is not a happy place. It is one of the cruelest um, empires ever to exist in history. 
Uh, they would do, this is where I, if, if there's teenage boys in the room, this is where they're going to lock in and remember this when you go home. You can talk about this over dinner tonight. Um, is that some of the things that the Assyrians would do um, is that when they would, when they would capture people, when they have captives, uh, prisoners of war, one of the things that they would do is that they would, they would go to each one and they would cut off their legs and their left arm so that they could shake their hand while they were dying to mock them. Yeah, not great neighbors, right? I mean, this is not what you hope to hear um, when you move into a new place, that these are the people who live next to you. They skinned people alive and put their skins on the wall of their city so that, so that people could remember their great campaigns and their great victories. They cut out people's tongues. I mean, like I could go on, but it's awful, the things that they would do. All right, so the northern kingdom here is, uh, is, uh, is struggling inwardly and struggling with outward pressure from this really horrible kingdom as well. And so the prophets in the northern kingdom had this role where on one hand, they had to continue to call Israel back to repentance and back to God, the one who protects them and the one who cares for them. Um, and they're also, um, they're also messengers of grace. At one point, they are they're saying, repent, uh, believe, return to the Lord. And on the other, they're also announcing how God, even despite the sin of the northern kingdom, is still caring for them, is still keeping his end of the covenant that says he's going to protect them as well. One of these times when we see God, who is both just and full of grace, and the prophet's role in that, uh, you don't have to turn there, but it's in 2 Kings 14, and it's the prophet Jonah who gets to come to the king and say, hey, I know that Assyria has taken a bunch of our land, but... God has told me that there's now a, pl uh, a famine that is going to hit Assyria, and they're going to have to withdraw their troops, so we get to restore our borders. So, I mean, and so they, they restored their borders. They had a, a time of, of wealth and prosperity, and it was the prophet Jonah who got to bring this great news of grace that God had with Israel, even though Israel was not following him like they should. So Jonah is the one who gets to announce this. But now, something very interesting, perhaps astonishing happens. This is where we come into Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. That's the capital of Assyria. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God is telling Jonah to go deep into the heart of Assyrian territory to their capital city and speak against what they are doing them and call them to repentance, to give them the opportunity to repent and believe and to receive grace. That's what he's been called to do, to go up to Assyria. Like this can you imagine how Jonah must have felt at this call? One, this is a Gentile nation, right? And so you've got Jews and Gentiles, Jews and then the nations, everyone else. So this is a Gentile nation. So they're not even supposed to be the ones who are receiving God's mercy and grace or receiving his word. They're, they're outside. And God is sending him into this very scary place to preach a message of repentance and these are the people that have been attacking, wounding, raping, killing, plundering his people for years. So Jonah, 
I like, I like verse 3. It starts, but Jonah, right? This is what God said, and then it said, but Jonah, right, went a different direction. He rose, God told him to arise, and he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you where Tarshish is. There's a little bit of historical argument about this, but most of the people believe that it's on the western coast of modern-day Spain. You can't get farther away from Assyria and Nineveh than Tarshish. Like he went, give me the ticket to the farthest place you go. But it's really, it's really fascinating. It's, this is beautiful literature. If you just read it, um, just for the literature even, it is amazing. Because God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And it said, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so arise and go. Then he went down to Joppa which is not an Israeli port, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. So God said, arise and go north. He arose and went south and then down into the port and then down into the ship to the farthest place he could get away from God. <laughs> uh, this is a prophet of the Lord, right? I mean, he's a, and he is running as far as he can, as far as he can run. But think about this. Think about the pressure that was on him. Think about what he must have been feeling. This is like asking a Ukrainian to go to Moscow. Go to Moscow and tell them to repent. This is like asking a Carolina grad to go to Durham. And we're like, where's the farthest ACC school that we can go to on the other side of, of all of this? He would have been angry at God. He would have not been understanding. He probably would have been embarrassed because he got to be, there's probably a little fame when you get to come back and go, let me tell you how great God is. We get to expand our borders and the Assyrians are struggling. And so, uh, and so we are going to experience prosperity. He probably got a lot of pats on the back. There was probably a lot of glory that was involved in this. And now he's going to have to tell all his friends and all the people of Israel and all the people that knows him that he's going to go to Assyria to call them to repent. Because not only did he probably struggle with it, but definitely the hearts of all all of his friends and people would have struggled with it as well. He's very alone in this. It's also, it's also a bit of a lack of faith in this as well, isn't it? I mean, perhaps, perhaps some of this is also an unhealthy nationalism that says, that says, it's okay for God to bless me and my people, but there are some people in some nations that are too evil to bless. And I get to decide that. And now, before we're too, we're too harsh on Jonah, before we go, what is wrong with this guy? Like, what, how could he possibly, he just heard a word from the Lord and brought it, and now he's doubting everything. Like, what's, what's his deal? Let's, let's, before we cast stones, let's recognize that we do the same thing. That we oftentimes run from the things that God calls us to do. And, and if you say, well, yeah, well, well, Dan, I don't really hear God just call me and go to places like that, and so I've never really done that. Well, the thing is, is that most of the things that God calls us to do is not even individual, it's, it's in here, 
It's in the scripture that is revealed to us. Um, And so we run oftentimes from the truth and the things that God has called us to do and be that he has laid out in this book, even though it comes with so much promise of joy and hope and, uh, and protection and fulfillment and all the things that it calls us to, that we run away from those. And you're like, yeah, well, Dan, I just kind of don't read that either. Um, it's kind of my point. Okay, um, so that doesn't get you out of it either. Uh, it's a plausible deniability does not help when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right? So, so we oftentimes do what Jonah does, and we might not run as far away as we possibly can to some geographical place, but we can run into a lot of other idolatry. We can press into our careers. We can press into recreation. We can press into so many other idols that, that, our, that our role in life is to just try to gain enough money to retire well. Instead of our goal in life being how do we pursue God, hear from him, bless other people in his name. There's so many things that we could insert in here of places where we run other than to the holiness and the righteousness and the call of God. We do this too. And, and you know, I, we, we've all said this at some point in our lives where we go, yeah, but uh, it's just so hard uh, to, try to, to try to figure out what God is wanting. And if, if I could ever just hear God clearly in such a way that I could never explain it away, my faith would just be so strong. The problem is everyone in this book besides Jesus, right, that, that actually gets to hear the word of God come to them in a very, very tangible way that they can't avoid, and they still do all kinds of stupid things, and they still run away all the time from God. It happens over and over and over again, and what it comes down to is a heart of faith, and what it comes down to is a heart needing grace. The only one who has ever truly heard the word of God and followed it fully and completely in all obedience is Jesus himself. And he's the one that can offer us grace, just like Jonah needs it right now, as we run from him as well. So you know what's fascinating here, too? If you look closely into this, you know some of the things that are missing here in what's happening with Jonah? Prayer. Did you see Jonah praying about anything? Did you see him listen and then go, all right, I'm struggling with this. I need some some help. I need to pray through um, some of these decisions. I need to figure out. No, no, he doesn't pray at all. Right? Like he just, he just makes his own decisions without ever coming to the Lord. The other thing that's missing here is accountability and counsel. He doesn't go to those people who, whom he loves and he knows loves him and that are wise and, and say, I'm really struggling with this. He's calling me to Nineveh. And I'm thinking Tarshish this time of year is really beautiful. Right? He needs other people to be able to speak into his life and say, take a breath, Jonah. Like calm down let's talk through your decisions here. And so oftentimes we end up doing the same thing, especially in our culture right now that is so hyper-individualized that we, that we walk through life all by ourselves without leaning on the counsel and wisdom of others. And it gets us in all kinds of trouble. Um, Jonah, the prophet of God, is doing the same thing that we are doing as well. So God said, go to Assyria, but Jonah did something different. Now in verse 4, it starts this way, but the Lord, (laughs) right? So we've got God saying something, and we've got Jonah responding, and now we've got God responding to Jonah's response, all right? Uh, And it says this, but 
the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. This word hurled is the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament to throw a spear. Like, I have seldom been angry enough in my life to throw something at somebody, uh, especially a hurricane. Like, I've never, I've never done that. And so God threw a, uh, a storm at them. And it threatened to break up the ship. And so, and this must have been a heck of a storm because you've got these seasoned sailors and mariners. And verse 5 says, The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So God's hurling a storm. They're hurling things over. I think everybody's hurling at this point uh, on the boat. It is a, it is a, it's a bad moment when the sailors are crying and throwing the furniture over the, over the side, right? Um, and so, so everybody's freaking out a little bit here, except for Jonah, who if you continue to read in verse 5 says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. <laughs> Um, so the captain came to him, verse six, and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? I, I think maybe that the, whoever wrote this, no one knows who wrote Jonah. Some people think Jonah might've written Jonah as a, a, a sort of an account of his own life. Um, I think he edited what the captain might've said to him. Um, <laughs> he said to me, what, what do you mean, you sleeper? Um, <laughs> arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A few important points here, right? One, our sin affects other people. Our sin affects other people. We might want to say, well, no, it's just me, and it's my decisions, and it's my life, and I get to do what I want to with it. Nope, it never works that way. Ask Cain and Abel, right? Like the first sins of Adam and Eve led to their children and it spread around the earth. Sin always spreads. Sin always affects other people. And the things that we do in our lives that we try to justify is just ours, just private, doesn't affect anyone else. Sin always moves from private to public and it always affects other people. And so we see here that the, the sailors themselves are suffering because of Jonah's sin. And I've seen so many people justify their own sin all the way into a place where they're in the midst of some deep storms. I've seen men and women leave their husbands and wives because God knows that they need something different in their life. That's what they think. That's what they justify. They justify their own actions of hurting their own families and of, of, of hurting the people that they've made covenant with and, and leaving and justifying it because they think God knows their heart. No matter how we justify the things that we do, it still hurts us and it still hurts others. Here's the other fascinating thing about what's happening right now. Jonah's still not praying. He's still not praying. He's in the midst of a storm and he's about to die and he still is not praying. The, the sailors are praying to every God they can think of not even their gods. They're like, I've heard of this other random God. I'm just going to pray to him too. And Jonah is downstairs asleep. He has, he has no thought of that he should perhaps engage God on these things. What do you think Jonah felt when he's lying asleep downstairs and the captain gently shakes him in an encouraging way? <laughs> and what's the first word that the captain says to him? 
Arise. Isn't that the same thing that God told to him? Arise and go to Nineveh. And so here he is on the ship, and the captain says, Arise and call out to your God. He's reminding the prophet of the Lord, probably should pray now. This is probably a good time um, for you to pray. And what is the captain's statement? He says, call out to your God. And what is he asking Jonah to pray for? Maybe the God you pray to will give a thought to us that we may not perish. He's asking for salvation, which is exactly what God had called Jonah to bring to Nineveh. In the midst of the storm, God is teaching Jonah something. Is God angry at him? Like, is he angry that he threw this storm at him and he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fire lightning bolts at him because he didn't listen to me? I don't think so. Because if he was angry enough to want to kill him, he could have just killed him. Like God, I mean, God could just, and he's done, right? But no one on the boat, it seems like, has died at all. There's a big storm, and the ship is threatening to break up, but the captain said, pray that we may not perish. So even in the midst of all of this, God is graceful. God is full of grace even to Jonah in the midst of his running, just in the same way that he has been grace-filled with Israel in the midst of their running and that he is full of grace with you in your running. Oftentimes, our sins bring storms. They, they put us in places where it's our own decisions and our own actions that put us in places where we suffer and other people suffer as well. And it's our sin that causes that. Now, we might blame it on God. We might, oh, look what God is doing to me. Didn't God bring this storm? But it's, it's our decisions that put us in those places. And sometimes the storm itself is grace. Calling us to, to like he did Jonah, calling our attention to the fact that we need God and we need grace and that his ways are the best. So here's what happens. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so Jonah's like, uh-oh. Um, uh, and uh, so they cast lots, like they rolled dice or it, it, there's, who knows how exactly they did it, but some of they drew straws, whatever. Somehow it, the lot fell on Jonah uh, and they said to him, verse eight, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And then they start firing questions at him. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and what people are you? These are the same kind of questions that come up when we're in the midst of the storms of our sin as well. Who are you? Who are your people? Who are you going to press into and who are you going to run away from? Who are you going to claim as yours and who are you going to say, I've separated from them? Who are you? Jonah could have said, I used to be a Hebrew, but I'm deconstructing my faith and I am not really a part of a gathering of God's people. Instead, he said, Verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Recognizing if he made the sea, he can stir it up a little bit too, right? Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what have you done? Which is such a wonderful question for people in the middle uh, of the storms of their sin in their life, right? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? What, what have you done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah spilled the beans. He's finally told somebody, all right, look, they told me to, he told me to go up here. And instead of going up there, I went and got a ticket here to go way over there. And so I'm trying to run from the very presence of God, which is really hard when God is everywhere, right? Um, but Jonah, in his moment of justification of his own actions, is, is fleeing in this way. And the, the sailors go, what are you doing? So Jonah should have asked people of wise counsel in Israel, uh, the, the people who, are, uh, who follow his God, who follow his scripture, who pray to God, tell me, advise me, counsel me, let's make a decision. And he didn't, and he left, and he didn't pray at all when he left, and now he's on a boat full of pagan sailors who don't believe in his God, and they're telling him, hey, by the way, right now, this is when you should pray. And then they're giving him counsel as well, like, what are you doing? Let's talk through this. Who are you? Why have you made these choices? God has put him in a place where he is gaining what he needs, even though he's running from exactly what it is that he needs. Verse 11, and they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So there's an acceleration, right? It's ramping up. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. There's more hurling, lots of hurling in the, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So Jonah, in the midst of being the one who's brought the news of grace to the northern kingdom, being the one who's supposed to bring the news of grace to Assyria, now in the midst of this storm, still does not come back to the fact that God is gracious. He, he doesn't say, let's ask, let's ask God to stop this. And, and maybe you could just turn around and take me home. And I'll go where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go where I'm supposed to go. He doesn't repent the entire time. Doesn't pray the entire time. and goes, well, I guess I'm just going to have to die for this. Even though he's a messenger of grace. I guess, I guess I'm just going to have to die. And friends, we who are Christians in this room sometimes can hear the message of grace so much that it, uh, that it becomes commonplace in our ears and that familiarity breeds contempt and that we stop, we stop understanding and recognizing the need for grace in our own life and we stop extending it to others as well. And so it is with Jonah here who thinks that God's just going to kill him for this even though God has proven over and over again that that is not how it has always gone down. So, verse 13 says, though, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So even though he said, throw me over and it's going to be fine, these, these pagan sailors, right, um, said, we're not going to murder you. Like, no, right? Aren't you... So this is another good time for you to pray before you come up with those kind of decisions, Jonah, right? And so they try, they try to get to land. They're like, no, that, we're not going to, we don't want to kill him. We don't want that blood on our hands. And so they try to row, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so, verse 14, they, therefore, this is so great, therefore, they called out to the Lord. <laughs> They're like, if your prophet's not going to pray, we'll do it. Um, and they say, oh, Lord. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They prayed, even when Jonah wouldn't. And now, we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but I just want you to hear the truth of what's happening here, that every passage of Scripture points to Jesus. And you think about what they're praying here. 
don't put the innocent, don't let us die for this man's sin. Lay not on us the innocent blood, O Lord, for you have done as it pleased you. Isn't that exactly what happened with Christ? That the innocent blood of Christ has calmed the storms of sin and saved us as he died in our place. When you start thinking about Jonah being in a fish for three days and coming out after three days, you should start ringing some resurrection kind of bells to you as well. But that's a hint for next week that we'll get to. So, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, uh, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what just happened? They all just became believers in Jonah's God. Did you see that? They threw him over, but then they prayed, uh, and they made a sacrifice to him, uh, and they feared the Lord exceedingly. So Jonah is being sent to Nineveh to bring repentance and belief from the people that they will receive grace. And he's running from that. And even in the midst of his running, his actions, God is working through them to bring other people to himself. Like he just brought grace to these, these sailors, despite of Jonah not even being willing to participate, not praying, and not even understanding the God that he serves. Isn't God amazingly full of grace? You see it everywhere in this text and everywhere in the Old Testament. If you are on this path, chasing after sin, beginning to justify, beginning to separate, wanting to find peace and walking away from your faith, then I call you to press into grace. Don't use the difficulties and storms of life as excuses to continue to run. Don't pull away from the community and the church but be in places of grace. Put yourself in the path of oncoming grace. That's what happens here at the table. That's what happens in our liturgy as we pray for confession and we receive absolution from the Lord. That's what happens when you're standing out having coffee in a greenhouse afterwards and you're sharing your life with people who care about you. This is the places where we find grace in his word, in his table, in his spirit, in his people. Press in. Don't run. Grace is coming for Assyrians who didn't ask for it. Grace has come to Israel who didn't deserve it. Grace for Jonah who was running from it. Grace for the sailors who were caught up in all of this. And grace for you. Forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Don't be Jonah. Stop running. You're going to find that the God who is chasing you loves you and wants to bring healing and hope to you. Repent, believe, receive grace and hope and love and joy. So here's where we're going to leave Jonah for today. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So this is where we're going to leave him. We're going to leave him in the fish, and we're going to come back and see what happens to him next week. But I just want you to see this, friends, this first chapter of Jonah, this introduction to this great story from this interesting prophet, and that we can see our own lives in it. And what I hope you see from it is although we try to run away from God, that he pursues us. And he pursues us doggedly for his grace, to bestow grace upon us. And he's calling you out of the storm. And even when the 
even when Jonah thought that God was going to kill him for all this. Throw me into the sea. And even as he was plunging, he'd gone down even further, down to Joppa, down to the boat, down into the sea now. But God's grace comes in the form of a fish and saves him. So let's see what God is going to do with him next. And the same is true for you. God's grace may come in a number of different forms, but he still has great things in store and places for you to go and be that you will know him and hear him and serve him and bring others to him. He's a God of grace. Let's pray.